I find that I tend to miss the real problem in situations. I tend to look at situations uh, very often, and I'm looking at thing, something, and I think, this is the real problem, and it's actually not the real problem. We just got our Toyota Sienna, our car, back from the auto body shop, and uh, I noticed when we got home that the side door wasn't working. It's like it has this thing where they power side doors, and, and you know they weren't opening. I was like, okay, they messed up. You know, got to get it back to the shop, back on the phone, like, let's make an appointment, let's get, get this going. My son uh, just walked out to the car, and uh, then walked back in. He said, you know, Dad, underneath the, da- underneath the, uh, the dashboard here, there's, there's this button that says, power doors off, and it's pressed. <laughs> if you just unpress it, actually, the doors work. I'm like, no way. And I went out, sure enough, doors work. So, so that's me. You know, I, I, I mis, misdiagnose uh, what's going on. Uh, we're we're going to be reading an account. This, this, by the way, is not a terrific deficiency in a pastor <laughs> to not be able to look at the situation, what, what's really going on. But here we are. I, we're going to be reading a passage uh, this morning that is a much more serious account of where we could really not see the real problem and mistake the real problem, how we may do that, with much more serious implications um, for how we act, not just how we treat an auto body shop, but how we treat our neighbors, how we treat the world around us. We're going to be reading, as we've been doing in the letter to the Romans, and we're getting to the end of chapter one as we're taking our tour through Romans, and and we are... um, dressing and finding these three themes, remember in our, in our series title, The Justice of God, how, how God is the just and the justifier of all who trust. And those three themes are never really absent in the discussion, but there's a section of the letter at the beginning that, that focuses on one, and that's make the justness of God, showing that God is just in the way that he deals with people. And here we're in a discussion of God's wrath, that he's uh, showing us. It's a very serious situation, and it describes what happens in a culture that is rejecting God. But it's really important for us to read this carefully in order to get the problem right. Let's hear now, uh, if Josh would read for us, from Romans chapter 1. If you would stand for us. Romans 1, 21 to 32. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. 
And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Do you indeed thank God for this passage? Are you, are you in fact, thankful to him? That is the issue. Well, this passage is describing... Uh, a big problem uh, in a culture, in a, in a society, a big difficulty. Um, but what I want to um, point out here, among the various things that might have hit you by that, this is, this is one of these passages in the Bible that does identify practicing homosexuality as a sin, along with murder and gossip and slander and boasting. Uh, it does, and there have been many efforts recently in recent days to read around this text and texts like these, uh, but, the, but uh, the text doesn't really allow that, really is something of which God disapproves. But what I want to point out here, and it's important, uh, it, it seems to often get missed, is these things that really strike us, like the rampant removal of gender from relationship, which is the biblical way to express that things like this, are not the inciting problem. They're the punishment. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, it has these parallel phrases. These are things that people are given over to, but they're not really the sin that angers God. You see that in the passage? They're not the sin that angers God. They're the consequence. Now, I know some of you, you hear that and you say, well, wait a second. This, these things are beyond the pale, though, right? I mean, these particular sins are things that are really bad, you know? Isn't, isn't the, doesn't the Bible call homosexuality a sin? Well, yeah, it does, but, you know, it calls a lot of things a sin. Actually, many other things are a sin in the Bible, like like murder, like adultery, like sacrificing children, like business fraud, those are also called an abomination uh, in the Bible as well. And our, our confession tells us that some sins are, are more heinous than others. There are things that are worse than others because of the, of the, of the consequences of those sins. You know? But I, I can say as a pastor, I can look and say there are, there are things that are worse, you know, that if you were going to rank kind of adultery and, and a committed same-sex relationship, there, you know, the adultery is much higher on the scale of things that are, that are really damaging to people. What do we see? But the point here is that the things that are mentioned, the 
Verse 24, the trans celebration, dishonoring our bodies, these uh, kinds of other kinds of relationships, they're not the inciting iniquity. They're the eventuality. They're the result. Well, you say, if that's what really is not drawing God's wrath, if that's not really what makes God angry, what is? And the passage tells us. It tells us that very clearly. The real sin that is incurring God's wrath, you know, the thing that brings the final judgment back into our time. Because it's a final judgment is a time when God, ju- God judges all sin. But there are times where Paul is saying that that, that, that actually is kind of almost dragged back into our present time, into our reality. There are things that do that when a society does them. Well, what is it? What's the real inciting sin in this passage? It's unthankfulness. Verse 24, they did not give thanks to God. Verse 25, they didn't worship the creator. Verse 28, they did not acknowledge God. It's ungratefulness. That is, there are so many gifts that God gives us. The inciting sin, the sin that really draws God's wrath, is not honoring God for the wonders that he gives us every day. We gaze on his gifts continually without lifting our eyes up to the giver. Because God fills our lives with these things. These ways of celebrating. And we don't acknowledge them. That's the problem. It's like, you know, you might go to a wedding celebration and have a wonderful time. And it's a really great party. But you never think of thankfulness to the person who's really responsible for putting it on. The person writing the checks. The father of the bride. <laughs> like that might not even enter your head as you're partying. Well, it's like that, Paul is saying. You know, it's like these celebratory things that God makes our, fills our lives with. C.S. Lewis once said, you know, God must be a real hedonist. He puts so many pleasures into our lives. There are so many things for our lives that we enjoy. And yet we don't acknowledge, we don't lift our eyes up. We're so consumed with the gifts. We're so fixated on the gifts. We never lift our eyes up to the giver. That's the problem. That's the button on the Toyota Sienna that we're missing. According to Paul here, that's the problem. Now, I know some of you are probably not convinced. You're seeming like, you know, that's a slight thing. But you got, that's what the passage is saying. It's not like some of these other sins you're saying that are listed. It's, no, it's the main thing. And it's the thing that destroys us. It's the thing that brings really God's wrath because of that. So let's look at the wrath of God. The passage tells us something also that's uh, sometimes missed here about what the wrath of God really is, the great expression of God's wrath. And you can see it in verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. The really scary part is what God does at the end of his patience. 
What does he do? He gives them up. He gives them over. It's the same expression in each of these, in each of these verses. There's a kind of a parallel um, statement that he makes. He gives them over. And that, friends, suggests the principle, the biblical principle to us, that if you really want to see God's full wrath, the great expression of God's wrath, it's not yelling at us, you know, or calling fire down from heaven. No. The great expression of God's wrath, perhaps the greatest expression of God's wrath, is simply leaving us alone. It's letting us be. Right? You can see this. You can see this in your lives in a kind of smaller way. Right? The way you get angry. Okay? Like you might get angry with your kids. I know some of you are really kind of uh, upset with yourselves because you lose your temper and you take it out on the kids. And you feel all guilty about it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm ruining my kids psychologically, you know, for the rest of their lives. You know, that, you're not, actually. Don't. <laughs> you don't want to take your anger out on your kid. That's, that's not good to do. Sometimes anger is appropriate. You don't want to take it out. Um, you don't want to, like, lose it. But it's, it's not wrecking your kid, okay? Especially if you can apologize uh, to the child. You know, mommy didn't, you know, shouldn't have done that. You know, you're not... You're not really damaging your kid for life. You get angry at your kid. You yell at them. Hey, you want to mess up your kid? Leave them alone. You really want to mess up your kid for life? In some way, abandon them. In some way, let them be. That's wrath. And that's what's going on here. These verses should be frightening to us. But not because, you know, we're, we're, we're having some loss in a culture war. No, it's much more serious than that. Because this is what the ultimate, this is a kind of a, a, a glimpse of the ultimate final judgment. You know, I really um, used to love watching this program, The Twilight Zone. I'm probably going to date myself here, but, you know, uh, I used to watch these re I wasn't around for the original airings of the Twilight Zone. That was like the 50s, 1950s, 1960s. But then they used to run reruns late at night in the 70s and 80s. I would love watching this program, The Twilight Zone, because it was, it was thoughtful, um, kind of science fiction. And I remember one episode where this criminal um, died, and then he woke up in the afterlife. And he was this, this uh, criminal who had done some like, really bad things. And he was greeted by this well-dressed uh, man, you know, with a notepad, um, and he says, Mr. Smith, welcome to the afterlife. Um, and he, he guesses it's, it's some kind of angel. He says, you know, he takes out his notebook, and he says, now, what would you like? And, and the guy says, what would I like? And he goes, yeah. You mean, really? And he's like, yeah, really. And he's like, oh, well, man, I want to gamble, you know, and I, wanna, I want women. I want a certain kind of women like this. And the guy's like, okay, he writes down, his, and he, get, he gives him these things. And the guy said, wow, I must have done something really good at some point in my life to cancel out the other stuff I did, because I ended up in this place, I get to, you know. And, and so he's really happy, and he, and he goes in, but the episode goes on, and as the episode goes on, begins to realize that these things that he's getting, that the angel is giving him, 
are not good. They're not actually making him happy at all. And he's getting worse and worse and more and more frustrated that they're really actually uh, not giving him peace and, and he's not content. And, and it's, this keeps going on. By the end of the episode, he's like, you know, I'm kind of frustrated with you. And he, and he says to the angel, I, I think I might even like to go to the other place. And uh, the angel says, the other place? And, and, you know, he doesn't want to say hell, but that's what he means. He's like, yeah, I want to go to the other place. And the angel then smiles and he says, Mr. Smith, you are in the other place. <laughs> and he laughs and says, and you realize actually this is not a good angel. This is the devil. And he is in the other place. So, you know, that is the other place. That's a, and actually, that is one biblical way to look at what hell is. It's a place where God withdraws his presence, where the Holy Spirit is not working, where you are just left to yourself to, to do what you want. That's hell. That's the ultimate expression of God's wrath. When you are on your own, where God relents, and that's it. And so you see what Paul is doing here. You see what he's saying in this unwinding of creation that he's talking about, in a society that no longer thanks God, that is no longer grateful to God, this is what the giving over looks like. But to understand this, this, you really have to see how acting freely according to our desires punishes us. We have to get this idea out of our head that somehow, you know, this sin that we do, doing things that God's disapproves of somehow benefits us like somehow we get something from that it's destroying us when we do that and so you know verse 27 he says it right there receiving in themselves for what they're doing you see that in verse 27 receiving in themselves god doesn't have to rain fire down from heaven on people they do it to themselves we do it when we, whenever we defy what God says. Defying what God says destroys us, always. Why Paul goes on in Romans 6 to talk about this and says, you know, these things that you used to do, uh, they're, they're, what, what do they give you? They give you shame. In the end, you have shamed about them. And in the end, they're death. Ultimately, it's shame and death, as he goes on to say. So what happens in a society, verse 29 you have a place where envy is approved of. If you think about it, you might say, well, actually, you know, when I get down to it, that's what's driving my business. <laughs> that's what's happening in my workplace. This is, what, this is what drives our business. This is what drives our industry is people being envy of one, envious of one another. That's what kind of makes things happen. Yeah, it's approved. Verse 29, where strife is normalized, where people are separated and separate. And that's like, okay, that's normal. You have, you have families that people don't talk to each other anymore. For the adult children, they just don't, they don't have, they can't even talk to each other anymore. And you say, well, that's just normal. That's the way a family is. Verse 32, the practicing of gender disintegration is approved of. That's what Paul's describing here. That's the wrath. And you know, I want to be clear that what he's not saying, he's not saying that every person with gender dysphoria, for example, is unthankful to God. But rather, if somebody has 
that alienation from their body, if somebody has that difficulty, a society, an unthankful society, will encourage them in it rather than give them the help they need to untie that knot. Again, he's not saying that every person with same-sex attraction is under God's wrath in some kind of special way. But rather, what he's saying that is in a non-acknowledging society, restraint is removed. And, and, and that kind of society, that kind of culture will encourage sexual temptations away from God's healthful way. They'll say things like, you must be this way. It's your identity. You know, you know when I hear that, I hear what society is saying to some of these people in this, in this position. It sounds eerily similar to me to what I hear from an adulterer. When I have a, a man committing adultery in my office or a man who's contemplating committing adultery, it's the same thing that I hear. I am this way, like my desires. I have this soulmate, and I have these desires, and they are who I am. And this is my identity, and it can't be different for me. It can't be different in any way for me. You hear the same thing. And hopefully, when you have someone in that position, you have someone in their lives, a pastor or a friend, who's able to say to them, you're crazy. <laughs> You're insane if you think these desires are. These desires are not you. You do not have to be this way. The way that you're conceiving of things is not the right way. You hope that that's going to be the case. But what Paul is saying is in a thankless society, it's not the case. Those voices are drowned out. You can't hear them. And you have people who could help with the temptation who are, who are just, they're not there. The voices are not there. You know, and, and you know, when you take something like uh, these issues, same-sex attraction, there, there are organizations, there are ministries that do help people, regularly help people to determine themselves differently from, from these desires, R routinely. I think of places like uh, Harvest USA, Desert Streams Ministries. I mean, they, these places are routinely helping people determine themselves differently from these desires. But you don't know about them, really, right? A lot of you probably, like, that's a surprise to hear this is going on, right? Sounds maybe even a little cultish to you, right? What does that tell you about where we are in this passage? Routinely. A thankless society will drown out the voices who can actually help the tempted. That's the giving over that he's talking about. And so, verse 32, it'll be a place where envy is encouraged, where strife is normalized, where malice is applauded, and yes, where gender is drained from relationship. And society is left to give approval to those things that destroy lives. They'll celebrate them on the White House lawn. And you know, I just want to make this a little personal because this principle operates on a personal level. So I would just say that, you know, if you do struggle, some of you struggle with a sexual sin. And if you do, if you come to the place where you have temptations outside that draw you away from the marriage covenant, and you've 
you're at a place where you can see that they're bad. You can recognize, okay, and call it sin. Say, this, this, this really is wrong. If you're in that place, and yet you're feeling overcome, you're feeling like these things overwhelm you. It's just like you're in bondage to them. You can't stop. If you're in that place, you should realize this principle of this passage is there to help you. It's thankfulness. Unthankfulness is, what, is, is a big contributor to our being overcome by these desires. And so the one way to escape this, uh, one important way to escape these temptations, if you're in that situation, is to replace these unwholesome desires with wholesome desires for which you can give thanks. And I've helped many guys uh, struggling with pornography in this way. I do what I call, uh, I call it spiritual replacement therapy. <laughs> And what I do is I say, tell me something you really enjoy. Tell me something like a favorite food that you really like or a favorite activity that you like to do, and, and tell me what it is. And you know, I had one guy who said, I really love this book. I really love reading this kind of book. There's a certain book I just love reading. I said, okay, give it to me. Don't read it. He's like, wait, that's the kind of thing that gives me pleasure. It's a good thing. And I said, that's right. I want you to, I want to put it here on your desk, and I want you to not read it until... You're tempted. When you're tempted, then you read it for a certain amount of time. And give thanks in your heart because of this wholesome thing that you can do, this wholesome desire that God has given you that you can fulfill. And you know what? Really helped him because it changed the whole dynamic of what it was. And he was realizing these good desires for which he could give thanks. And that thankfulness actually is what helped him overcome uh, these temptations. Why? Because of this passage. Because thankfulness to God for his myriad gifts are who we were made to be. And that's what gives us the real help of escape. So, you know, this passage is very sobering, you know, isn't it? But um, it should also be comforting to us. So that you realize, when you look out the world, what's going on, things are not out of control. <laughs> Think, wow, this is really out of control. No, it's not. God is very much engaged. You want to cooperate? You want to be a part of what helps? This passage helps us to know how to do that. It teaches us how we can help. If you really want to help people, you want to help your society, help your culture, it means you, don't, you shouldn't be putting all your energy into trying to get the population to stop doing these things, to which God is giving them over. <laughs> like, that's not the solution. Now, you could be, be responsible, you know. You can vote for people who make health, helpful laws, you know. Use your vote, you know. If you're in a position of responsibility, maybe sometimes you need to stand up for what's true. Yeah, that's, that's certainly the case. I often use uh, Drew Guess, member, just a member of our congregation, works for a big company, and uh, he, he saw policies coming in, and he wrote to the principals of the company and said, hey, these are not in line with your values. You know, you implement, for example, you implement these trans policies. They are not good for women. You know, this is one of the stated values of your company. So he wrote a very brave, very brave uh, act I, uh, that I often say. If you're in a position uh, where you might need to... Speak what you believe is true, what you believe is good for people. That's, that's important. But 
The point is here, if we spend all our energy trying to get people to stop sexual sin, we're fishing too far downstream. It's not the inciting problem. What you really want to do, if God is giving a people over, is help them to give thanks to God instead. Give those who have an ear to hear a reason to give thanks to God instead. Get them to give thanks to God, to, to see what he's done. What has God done? Two big things that God has done. One, creation. Two, redemption. Those are the two big things that God has done. And so, in the first category of creation, what, do you, what can you do to help your society? It's to show them that your body is a gift. You know, it's not, that your body is who you are. It's not an accessory. The Bible says, your body is who you are. And so you can celebrate it. If you're not celebrating your body, you're not helping. Or, this is what gives rise to my approach that I've, that I've often shared with you about gender. Okay? My approach is, is to try to help people celebrate the gift of gender. Okay? So that people can give thanks and realize what God has done that it really is a gift, that it really does cultivate intimacy and fruitfulness in our relationships. That means you have to come to a place of appreciating and embracing the commands that God gives us about gender in the scriptures. If you can't do that, then you can't help. And you might say, well, yeah, I know, God says these different things about gender in the Bible, and I, I just, you know, okay, they might be there, but I just hope, you know, you don't bring them up too often. Don't talk about them, <laughs> you know? And you might be able, to, be able to live that way. You might be able to just grin and bear it, but your daughter won't. You know, you might be able to say, well, the Bible says that, but and yeah, and, you know, just minimize it. You might be able to live that way, but your children won't. Not in this society. You need to understand why. You need to understand how the Bible teaches why God has given these commands. Not just the commands, but why he's giving these commands. You need to think about and understand why you do these things. To celebrate them. That's what's going to help. That's what's going to help people. And more importantly, is to highlight the redemption that God has given us. The deliverance from condemnation. Because people really give thanks to God. People end up really turning and giving thanks to God when they see what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as Paul explains in the rest of Romans, he goes on to explain, it's seeing what God has wrought through Jesus Christ that brings our hearts back to worship, to serve the Creator. That's what the letter's about. So what does that mean? Celebrate God with thankfulness in your own life. Highlight the way that God really is. That God is quite patient in judgment. Ridiculously patient, in fact. That he gives us a way out of judgment. So you can celebrate not being condemned when you really deserve it. By not condemning others when they might deserve it. 
You can celebrate the grace in the things that Jesus Christ said when he said these things. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then are the children free. You will be with me in paradise. Tell the things that Jesus said. You know, I, um, I really appreciate Walt Heyer and his uh, ministry is in this website that he runs, sexchangeregret.com. And he tells these stories. There's one story that he tells of this uh, guy, Nathan, was his name. And I really feel like it's verse 24 in reverse. It shows it in reverse. Nathan grew up missing love from his uh, parents in a certain way and um, really uh, hit, it, hit him hard. Uh, different things that happened, and he started uh, escaping into uh, the persona of a woman, living in a woman. He called it, he, he became Natalie. And he went through a string of marriages and divorces. He, he uh, found it very easy to go through gender mimicking um, procedures, medical procedures, just get a psychologist immediately, get the prescriptions, and uh, start doing it. Went through a transition, uh, ended up, uh, as often is the case, in, in great misery because of this, great problems from it. Uh, a few years later, you know, was worse off than, uh, than when he started, he felt like, uh, as living as Natalie. And right at that time, he learned about what Christ had done. And for the first time in his life, um, he understood it. And that released something in him. He believed, he was baptized, and then he would be sleeping and he would wake up, he would hear his name, kind of mysteriously, just hear his name. But it wasn't Natalie, it was Nathan that was being called. One time he was looking in the mirror just before he was about to put his makeup on and he realized he was looking at a man and he felt the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ calling to him saying, I want you to be the man that you were meant to be. And he did. He went through the very difficult process of, of detransitioning. When you want to go in one direction, you have all the help in the world. When you want to go the opposite direction, you have no help at all. But he persevered to do that and uh, has found peace now living as Nathan. But, you know, it all started with an appreciation of what God did, the grace that was there in Jesus Christ that made him so grateful to God. Let us take the same route, Lord. Let us honor God and give him thanks, acknowledge him as our Savior. As we come to the table now, let us worship our Creator. Would you please stand?